You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. <laughs> Welcome to the first episode of the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. I'm your host, Kyler. I think I figured out how to stop lockdown brain. I haven't been able to focus on reading or writing or even watching anything really. So I kind of just by accident started watching foreign series, international series on different streaming channels. And that really kind of helped unlock my brain, been able to focus more. I'm not looking at my phone while I'm watching TV, so I don't know. Work for me. Maybe you should try it. Uh, three series that I think you might like. One is called Undercover. I believe it's Finnish. It's on Netflix. Also, there is one called Caliphate. It's a limited series. That really blew my mind. And then also Fauda. I think a lot of you may have seen that, but that was that was pretty cool too out of uh, Israel. So. I'm going to keep doing that. I hope it works. Today on the show, we have Los Angeles Times bestselling author Stephen J. Schwartz. This guy is pretty pretty damn cool. His two novels, Boulevard and Beat, uh, really blew my mind when I read them earlier this year. De- definitely a different take on the whole detective thriller genre, so I think you should definitely check those out. His nonfiction work uh, that he put together as an anthology is called Hollywood versus the author, and it's about when writers try to sell their work or are approached to, to get their work sold by Hollywood, into Hollywood. Some really cool stories there. Uh, Michael Connolly and Bosch is one of them. So there we got we a lot of successes and then some pretty, pretty disturbing, horrific, tragic stories. It's an incredible read. Stephen has one of his uh, experiences in the book as well. So without further ado... Let's get to it and talk to Stephen J. Schwartz. We want to have bookshelves as our backdrop. I know. (laughs) Those aren't fake fake Zoom backdrops, right? No, this is the real deal. (laughs) I love it. Well, I saw, yeah, on Facebook, uh, because when I interviewed you last time, we were talking about how, uh, how challenging it has been to write during yeah. all of this, but I've noticed you've been out, you've been out like, you got a great landscape yes. to be writing to lately. So you're, um, maybe you could tell me about that. Cause I've been struggling writing. I've, I'm in the process okay. of a novel and uh, I yeah, just- Yeah, maybe when you want to start, cause we'll just, we'll get into it. Okay, let's do it then. So- Are we started? We already started? I'll, let's start, I'll do, I'll do an intro later and then put that on. So yeah, here with Stephen J. Schwartz. Um, happy to finally meet him face to face online. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's talk about your uh, your experience with all this COVID stuff as a writer, as a as a professor. How has how have you been able? Well, it's to- funny. I, I just got off of a Zoom call this very second to get onto this this podcast uh, with our faculty um, for Emerson College, and and now we're gonna have like weekly Zoom calls to prepare for the classes beginning in uh, the end of this month, and it's. Uh, we still don't know if it's going to be entirely online or if it's going to start online and then and then have a an in-person component but we're pretty sure it's going to be online and stay online for the whole fall so yeah those decisions are being made we don't and no one has all the answers and my my students all have internships i teach a 
film internship class um, or support the internships of film students that come from Boston in their senior year at Emerson College. They go to Los Angeles. Uh, they get involved in the film industry. They have internships at um, you know the studios, the film studios, production companies, uh, talent agencies, and on and on. And um, and normally they're there and they're doing all that hard work. And then my class kind of teaches them how to be really good interns and how to how to take advantage of the networking that they're doing and how to learn about the industry. Um, and now they can't do that. Everything's going to be online. So they're going to have their internships online oh. from Boston. And I'm going to be supporting what they're learning in their internships. It's just, we don't know how it's all going to work. It's going to be kind of funky. That's rough. At least we're all kind of dealing with the same thing. So uh, yeah. we, we can cut each other some slack, hopefully. I think that's, that's awesome that you have, uh, I mean, with film school and different things like that, you always hear about professors who have no, uh, no experience, actually, with the reality of the film business. So that's so cool you're able to get them internships um, in a practical practical setting. Because you had, I mean, maybe you could talk about that a bit, your experience um, way back when, when you were, you were you're working for a certain production company, right? Yeah, yeah I was working for, um, I was the director of development for Wolfgang Peterson. Um, and Wolfgang directed um, a lot of films. Um, he started Das Boat was the film that brought him over from Germany and that was, uh, an Academy Award nominee back in like 82 or something. It's a phenomenal film. It's a, if you've never seen Das Boat, see it. It's a, it's I've seen it, yeah. It's a cut. great film, see, yeah. Don't see the dub version, even though it's a pretty decent dub version, there's no good dub version, you know. Um, but uh, so yeah, that was the one that really gave him the esteem. And then he directed um, uh, um, a number of films. He did Never Ending Story. And he directed uh, In the Line of Fire with Clint Eastwood. That also really established him in Hollywood. Um, and when I got, when I came right after in the line of fire to join him and uh, I worked on Outbreak with him with Dustin Hoffman um, and then um, uh, Air Force One as well with Harrison Ford. And then after that, um, I left and he did Perfect Storm uh, and uh, he did Troy as well. So he's done a lot of big Hollywood films. Yeah, those are huge, huge yeah, films, huge. Like five yeah, big films, yeah. And that was there for about five years. We also produced a number of films that he didn't direct, uh, like Bicentennial Man. Um, which I worked on. That was a project that that I actually was. That was like my project. I we, I worked with Nick Kazan. Nick Kazan is the, is the screenwriter. Phenomenal. Right. You know, Academy Award oh, yeah. screenwriter. Great, great guy. That was from a short story by Isaac, Isaac Asimov. So he had to. Nick had to take that short story and, and adapt it into a feature script, and then do like twenty five drafts for us. Um, and uh, and then, um, and then Chris Columbus got involved, and then Robin Williams. It's kind of a fun story how the the script was kind of like Wolfgang and Robin Williams had the same agent at CAA, and somehow the script got slipped to Robin Williams, and he read and he loved it, and he wanted to he wanted to be in it, but he wanted to work with Chris Columbus, who he'd worked with in Mrs. Doubtfire, and uh, and Chris loved it, and then they came back to Wolfgang and said, "How would you like to just maybe produce this and not direct it?" And at that point, Wolfgang was not really fully engaged. And he said, sure, I'll do that. I'll just produce it. And then that happened. So we did it. There's about five or six films that we produced while I was there, too. That's very cool. I think that's such a I mean, great, great experience for your students just hearing your background. And I think like the uncertainty with Hollywood, maybe this is a good way for them to start out their careers. Just like there's no there's no certainty whatsoever in that business. I actually have a class in my in my industry class. I teach one over the first like the second class. You know, my first class is just introduction. Second class, what I do is, is in between the first and second class, I have them read. Um, I've done a blog. Uh, I wrote a blog piece um, called uh, Murderati. It was a, a, a 
mystery authors kind of blog that I did. But I, I wrote a, a blog that is actually, it's, it's the same thing that was in the uh, Hollywood versus the author book. And it talks about a couple of experiences I had as a development exec. And one, one of them was about um, Outbreak, the making of Outbreak, and the fight for, uh, to get that, that story on screen between Outbreak and another competing project called um, Crisis in the Hot Zone, which is based on a novel. Um, and, uh, and Linda Oakes was the producer on that. Ridley Scott was the director on that. And uh, Robert Redford and Jodie Foster were attached to it. And we were up against them with, you know, our guys. We had Warner Brothers. We had Arnold Copleston as the producer. Wolfgang Peterson as the director. Um, Dustin Hoffman as the star. And both of those projects were competing head to head. So um, in my class, I had them read my whole side of what that world was like as we were in this huge battle with this other production. Um, and Linda Oakes wrote a book called Hello, He Lied um, years ago. And she has a, a, a chapter in there where she talks about fighting against outbreak um, for Crisis in the Hot Zone. So <laughs> what's neat is that I have, I, you know, I have them read these two different excerpts and then we talk about it, in, you know, in the class. Uh, this fall, I've actually, there was a guy who was an executive um, who worked for, um, I guess it was Warner's, uh, when we did Outbreak. I can't remember if Outbreak was Warner's, I think it was. Um, and so he was actually even higher, right there working with everyone on story on Outbreak. Um, and he uh, has remained a friend, so he's going to come in and be a guest speaker for me for that class. Oh, so it's awesome. kind of neat to be able to bring all that together. That's very cool. Maybe we could talk about, because that's how I um, got the book right here. That's yeah, how I, yeah. That's how I found out about you because I, I like rare bird, bird books I tend to read a lot of their stuff and yeah. I just I just stumbled upon it and it was it kind of blew my mind because I've always been interested in you know novels and how they apply to film and tv and um you know I think the, I think the series in my opinion has been like the, a great format for for novels or or series in that respect but it was like I love the book because it had the full range it had like the success stories that it had some of the most heartbreaking, tragic, yeah. frustrating, yeah. like I, I'd be so embittered being yes. in a situation. Yeah. Um, that's exactly why I wanted to collect stories from everyone that has experienced every aspect of this punishing environment that we live in called, you know, Hollywood. Um, the people who, you know, everyone wants to sell their novel and see it turn into a TV series or, or a feature film. And, and no one really knows what it means to go through that process. Um, and even when you get the opportunity to go through that process, it's usually a, a, a horrifying tragedy <laughs> of an experience, which you wish that you had never ever done and was never worth it. Everyone thinks that, you know, their book is gonna suddenly become Game of Thrones in the series or Dexter, you know, or right. something, you know, Harry Potter series, whatever. Those are very, very few and far between. Um, and uh, they are the great exception to the rule. Um, so I had some people in the book, you know, that, that, that were very successful, uh, like Michael Connolly, you know, he started off with uh, his uh, experience of getting Bosch off the ground, you know, but even him, and he had 20 years in, and I don't know how many novels he had, 20 novels in before he, you know, decided to try to buy the rights to Bosch back from Paramount. Right, and, yeah. About, you know, and, and it was still a real struggle for him, and he had so much experience behind him and so much clout um, so think, think about the person who just has one novel, you know, that's getting optioned, and, you know, and the opportunities they may or may not have. Um, uh, usually, uh, it's, it's a very disappointing process because their voice, an author has a voice in a novel, but the author, the screenwriter, really doesn't have a voice in film and TV. It's, it's, it's taken from them by the director or producer.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Just like, I mean, reading that and acknowledging that. So if you're, if you're a writer, um, you got to, you know, either hold out or accept that and let it go. I saw uh, Dennis Lehane speak a couple of years back at a, at a local bookstore here in Salt Lake. And people were, you know, that the Q and A was mostly framed around the movies. People wanted to know about the movies and he seemed, uh, you know, he, he was there to talk about his new book, but he, he was just like, well, he was, he, he talked about how he was fortunate enough to have, high quality people purchase his stuff like Clint Eastwood. So he's like, it's in their hands. I trust it. Boom. Right. Um, and he's had some great, you know, great success and movies came out, you know, pretty good. Yeah. No, they're, they're but it's rare. Yeah. It's rare. He's a great writer and, and the films that came off of his books are, are, are very well made. Yeah. That right. is rare. I mean, and, and I, I, you know, it's funny, I didn't even talk about, you know, in, in, uh, in Hollywood versus the author, I didn't really talk about my own experience with, with my first novel, Boulevard, um, but that was uh, optioned right off the right off the bat. As soon as it came into the marketplace, um, uh, it was optioned by a major producer, um, a guy who uh, produced The Office um, and The Tudors, and he was the head of one of the studios, Ben Silverman. If you ever watched The Office episode, he's, he's the producer on every single of the Office. So, Big, big producer. So I was very happy, you know, to be able to have that producer involved and it was going to be a TV series and he bought it for a big director that he wanted to work with. And so the option, it's, it's a year option. And, it, and so he buys it for a year, which means that I can't sell it to anybody else. He's got, a, he's got a year to get off the ground. And at the end of that year, um, he has the option to renew for another six months, which means he's the only one that can renew for six months. If he wants to take it, he does. And he did that. So Normally, within a year's time, you know, someone can get it off the ground and it happens. And you're not selling your option. You're basically taking a, a smaller payment just for them to have the right to, to, to get it off the ground and no one else. So after a year, um, he renewed the option. So, so it was a year and a half. And then, and then ultimately, he just returned it. You know, it's like he didn't do anything with it. So he kind of held it, basically kind of put it on a shelf and, and nothing happened. So all the heat that was, that was the energy that was there in the initial sale completely disappeared and then um you know then i was on my own to try to get it off the ground for many years after that and 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 now i've got you know another guy who's got an option on it now i'm just i'm just giving him another i'm giving him a 12-month option now and and he he might be able to get off the ground it's interesting how these things it's anything can happen there's no there's no real route i mean the weird thing is that you know, it's been optioned by a few different people. I've had a few different major showrunners involved and then slip out and then just on and off and on and off. This is how it works, trying to get your film, your book to a film deal. Um, and then I got an email from a, a young film uh, a director in Canada, uh, in Vancouver, who said that he wanted to direct a short film for his reel. And he worked on the, sh the, the show Lucifer. And one of the producers of Lucifer said, oh, I'll write you a short film based on this book called Boulevard. And so she wrote him this, this short film. And then they said, oh, we should probably contact the author and ask for permission to do this. And so they contacted me. I said, sure, do it just for the short film. So they made that, he made that film. Now it's been like two years ago, probably. <clears> then <throat> he made the film. Um, and then uh, it went to some festivals, did well festivals, but that never got off the ground as a series. But the guy who played the protagonist in the short film, it's a great actor named um, Dylan, uh, uh, Dylan Neal. Um, and, um, great, wonderful actor, and, and, and he's been around, he's done some stuff before. So now I'm giving him the option, he's going out to try to get it off the ground as a TV series. So one never knows, who knows, maybe it'll happen. I hope so, because I read, I read Boulevard right after, I picked up your, you know, Boulevard and Beat right after I, I read the, the Hollywood versus the author, and I, you know, I, 
I love Boulevard. It was just, I'd never read anything quite like that. And I, and I, the whole time I was reading it, I was thinking that, how is this not a series? This is perfect. Yeah. I've never seen this twist. So, you know, you have Hayden Glass, the protagonist, who's, um, you know, detective, sex addict, kind of keeping that, those two lives separate, but they cross over. I mean, it was, it's incredible. So I really, I really hope something comes of it because I, I love the character. It's a, it's a tough time to sell a police story about a sex addict <laughs> as your hero, right? <laughs> right. Everything is against it, you know? So, so, you know, but if people understand it, you know, the thing is that people have to really put, put their neck out people in the film business very rarely stick their neck out for a project. And, and if there's anything that could possibly damage their career in sticking their neck out, they will not, you know? Uh, and so that's been my experience is that it's just been too risky for people to attach themselves to a story like this. The people who really understand the story, they understand that the, the hero is a, a, a person with, with great faults and he has, uh, has very little respect for himself. Uh, he's got a lot of shame for what he does. He's going through a 12-step program. He has a sponsor. He's very aware that this is a problem he's trying to work through. He, you know, he gets his 30 days, his 60-day chip, and then he falls off the wagon, goes to a strip club or, you know, uh, or a massage parlor or whatever. He goes right back on, you know, back to day one. So he's struggling, and, um, and, and he doesn't think he's a heroic character, but the people around him, the things that he does are heroic. The things that he does are for others, and it's because he doesn't have a lot of self-respect, so he doesn't mind hurting himself for the sake of others because he doesn't respect, respect himself. So it's a very complicated character, uh, and if people get that, then they'll realize that it's that's not gratuitous. I'm not telling the wonderful story of a sex addict, you know, getting away with being a sex addict. It's, it's about a guy who's struggling. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be whatever it is, you know, that people struggle with an addiction. Yeah, you see that trope all the time. I was, you know, I'm watching the new Perry Mason on HBO and we're kind of okay with a detective who's an alcoholic. That's kind of expected. But what if there's other addiction, uh, you know, the public, we're just not ready for that yet, I guess. But I, I hope it comes to, to light. I love, I love those two books. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> it kills me when I, when I watch my wife, my wife and I watch Netflix. We, we look at all the new shows that are available on Netflix and there's a billion new shows. It's like anyone has an idea, you know, it's like there was a, an episode of South Park once. It was really funny where the, I can't remember the characters, but they're like trying to get a Netflix show off. And they call <laughs> off Netflix. And the person who answers the phone at Netflix says, um, hello, Netflix, you're greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> it, Everyone has a show. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> true. It's true. Like I, um, you know, because I'm having a lot of time on my hands, especially through the summer here. Um, I've been watching a lot of, I think it's cool. They're, they're putting a lot of uh, international series on there. So I watched a, a, a couple, um, like a one from, yeah, like I watched one called Fauda, which is about, oh, yeah. yeah, that I really like that. And then I finished up a one called Caliphate last night, which huh. I love that. That one's incredible. Uh, it's Swedish, but it, it deals with um, girls who are kind of like um, from Sweden who, become Muslim and associate with ISIS. And then they, they're like 13, 14 years old and they go, they go to Syria. Um, so it, it's a pretty, it's only a one season, a limited series, but that one finished it last night. That was, I loved it. One of the best things I've seen in a while. So it's cool that they're getting stuff like that because we're getting uh, different voices from all over. I, I, I'm fortunate to love, enough to live here in Utah. So I get to go to Sundance and Slamdance every year. 
And that's one of my favorite things is just seeing all like the, you know, I saw some amazing German films this past season. So you, you see all these, you know, the, the film business is just, you know, not Hollywood. So it's, it's really cool to see different voices throughout the world um, yeah. kind of get a go, especially on Netflix. So that's cool. But yeah, they should take you up, man. I mean, that's. A <laughs> yeah, I look at it and go, why is this not a series? Why is this not happening? Well, we yeah, Bosch, you may have to put it, you may have to wait the 20 years, right? So. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, you also have to write 20 novels, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go for it, yeah. My wife loves Bosch. She's, she's, all, she's all into that, so. <laughs> um, anyway, one thing, like, was really cool. I have a laundry list of books that you recommended um, yes, from yes, last time yes. we talked, so I want to thank you for that. Anything new that you've been that you've had the time to read. I don't know if you've been able to focus on reading. I've, I've struggled here and there uh, yeah. through all this, but um, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm writing now and I, when I get to writing, I read only the things that, that I read for a specific purpose, you know, to get a sense of this or that, or, you know, how a particular author deals with a particular type of character or situation or a very large novel or different concepts. Um, so, so I'm uh, not really reading as much for pleasure. Um, when I read for pleasure, well, actually, there's a couple of different things. I'll, I'll read based on what people recommend to me. Um, I'll um, read when I feel like I'm not, um, I've lost my voice, then I will go back and read Fight Club again, because mm. that um, I've read that eight times now. And nice. Fight Club really um, strikes me. I just love that work. And it strikes me at a certain level that, that, uh, that reminds me of what, how I want to write and why I write. Um, or I'll read Bukowski, um, any of his novels, except for Pulp. I'm not a big fan of Pulp, but everything else. You read Bukowski, it's so honest, it's so strict and direct, and it's such a complicated character. Everyone thinks he's this type of character, but he's really actually kind of a more sensitive person. And if you, you get that when you read what he experiences. And so Bukowski and his tight clip lines, you know, like Hemingway, you know, I, 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 I so those center me when I feel like I need to be centered. Um, and then when I'm when I'm writing, like I, well, I read a lot of research. So for the, the current novel, most of it was research for the last few months, um, uh, climate uh, change type of research, things like that, scientific stuff. Um, and then um, uh, and then I started, you know, okay, now I want to read some things, just a bit more characterization. I, I read, reread uh, Liska Jacobs' uh, Catalina, because uh, I like what yeah. she was doing with the characters. I'm I talking know. to her tomorrow night. I'm talking to you her. You are? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, great book. Yeah. I mean, I love that. So, yeah. Catalina is beautiful. Very, very well written. Um, and I was with her in a, in a class in the MFA program, and I read that chapters of that when she was just writing it. So it was, it was very neat. That's great. Um, but she did a wonderful job. So I like look at character relationships through that. I'm just about finishing rereading uh, The Fountainhead, which is a big tome, you know, and there's... Um, I kind of wanted to see how uh, the character Dominique um, was reflected in that. Uh, I love the I love some of the characterizations how they how the the, the protagonist and 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 female character relate to one another. And so there's some things in that. Um, I was reading uh, recently um, uh, the uh, a prayer for Owen Meany um, again for characterization, uh, John Irving book, and a lot of people recommended that as well. So. I don't know what I'm going to read next, um, but um, but it, it's doing its job, and that it's it's when I when I read really good work, it, it makes me write at a higher level, um, and so I always want to just read the best stuff I can read when I'm writing. 
Yeah, I have a, um, we have a mutual, another mutual friend, Tony Duchesne, and he, yeah. he, he, he was telling me something about someone that he had talked to said, you know, with writers, reading is breathing in and, and writing is breathing out. So, like yeah, that's pretty cool. That's beautiful, yeah. I once asked a guy, because I'm always interested in what people are reading all the time. Whenever I'm walking in an airport and I see somebody reading a book or anywhere on a pool, it's like, oh, what are you reading? What are you reading? I got to know. It's just it's some weird thing. You know, I got to know what you're reading. And, and, and thank God, hopefully it's not going to be some romance novel or some really terrible airport, you know, book. Um, and and um, uh, oh, I forgot where I'm going with this. <laughs> I've got so many stories like this. <laughs> it just spun right out of control there. Um, uh, I forgot. Where I don't know where it is. There, there is one. I mean, I remember being in an airport where I saw uh, someone reading uh, uh, The Great Gatsby. You know, and she was a young girl. She was like, you know, like you know, teenager or something. And I was like, so excited. She's, she's reading Great Gatsby. And I went up and I said, you're reading Great Gatsby. What do you think of it? You know, and she goes, she goes, does it get any better? <laughs> and I just looked at her and I said, no, it doesn't get any better. It's like a 10th <laughs> grade, they teach that in 10th grade English here. That's, what, that's <laughs> she was being forced to read it. <laughs> it's a shame. Um, yeah. I, I didn't come back to that one until I was in my mid twenties. Cause I read it in high school and I think I was just too stupid. Um, right, yeah, you missed immature. It. Yeah. So like I read it later. I love it. Yeah. I read it probably three times. I just reread it a couple months ago. Yeah. That's great. Maybe it'll come to me sometime in the interview. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking like one thing I love to do is like I, a couple summers ago, I went out to Monterey and did like the whole Steinbeck thing down in um, Salinas. Yes. Um, so I think that right there is like, I don't know, have you done that before with certain writers a deal like kind of pay homage? Absolutely Steinbeck. Yeah. Well, see, now I'm living in Santa Cruz, but when I was 19 years old, I was living in Santa Cruz. And I was just, you know, out of my first year of college, I moved to Santa Cruz, I was you know, coming to California. And I was totally into Steinbeck, love Steinbeck. You know, travels with Charlie, it was a big, I managed everything. And the whole, that whole Salinas Valley. So I was working at a couple of different jobs, one at a record store and one at, at, the, at a grocery store. So I was working like six days a week and uh, I was just, you know, making no money and living in this terrible little place. Um, and, um, and I had like two days off in a row. I said, oh my God, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to take a journey. I'm going to get on a bus and go to Salinas. You know, I'm going to go, I had these ideas of, you know, Steinbeck's land. I'm going to end up at this farm. I'm going to meet this farm girl, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm going to have this wonderful sure. relationship. Uh, in two days, I'm going to be in this, you know, and so I took a bus to downtown Salinas and, and it was like <laughs> horrifying. It was just like this terrible, scary place. And, and I only had like $25 and I had to get a hotel room for the night because I was stuck there. And, and it was just this, this terrible, disgusting hotel that you know that, that like a rented by the hour kind of thing and, and i and i and i had to bring a desk up there so i can write when i was up there and it was it was really loud and there were people you know snoring there's a guy in the room next to me that was snoring it was so loud that my room was vibrating <laughs> and there was all these kind of hooligans you know around the drug deals going on all this. and this was my you know steinbeck experience you know and the next as soon as i can get the bus out the next day i, I got <laughs> yeah i spent i spent an afternoon there it wasn't exactly um, what I had expected, but I guess those books are were written a long time ago. Long, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. What else was I going to ask you? Um, so are, you're not from California originally. Where did you Where did you grow up? Not, not, Rich, I grew up in Albuquerque. Oh, okay. 
Land of the Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. No, I love Albuquerque. I had a good friend. I used to go down there. Um, very cool. So is it school brought you out to California? Um, a kind of circuitous route. Uh, I um, grew up in Albuquerque. I was born in Indianapolis, actually, but I grew up in Albuquerque. Um, great place to be a kid. I was very lucky, very happy there. Um, I, uh, I went to Texas, Denton, Texas, to study music for a year. So I went to a, a jazz school. I played saxophone. And so it was a really phenomenal jazz school in, in Denton, Texas, of all places. It's called North Texas State University. Um, one of the best. Have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? Oh, yeah. Um, so it was like that. That was the environment. Oh, no. School. Really freaking intense. And during the course of that time, I realized that, you know, there were two things that I always wanted to do in life. One was music. And the other one was film and, and writing. And, and I realized that I really wanted, by spending that year in the jazz school, I realized that I really wanted to go into filmmaking. Um, and so, so I left and then I came out to, to, to get my residency in California and to Santa Cruz. And then ultimately came down to LA and, and finished up in film school and, and kind of pursued that career, but kind of started doing more writing at that point too. Great. But I didn't get into writing novels until, until really 10, 12 years ago, I guess, writing novels. Okay. I've written screenplays, live screenplays, and short stories. Great. Yeah, I, I love that short story that you sent me. Uh, oh, that's that the was, hate oh, oh, yeah. No. yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was intense. Uh, <laughs> very cool. Um, yeah, I actually wanted, and not a lot of people saw that because that was in a, it was in a great collection, but it's just these short story collections don't get a lot of uh, noise when they get published. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm, I've been, I have time. I, I've got, I wanna take all my short stories and poetry um, and, uh, and, and just do a little self-published thing um, so I can get some of these things out there that, that, that no one has seen really. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be incredible. I don't know if you saw the, the, the short that I did, uh, Crossing the Line, I think I, I sent you that one, right? Oh, the, is that Hating Glass? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it's, interesting. That, because my publisher, that was after I wrote Boulevard, and the publisher said, you know, while, okay. while people are waiting for Beat to come out, you should write a little something that kind of teases them and, like, maybe write a little short story about Hayden Glass. I said, oh, that's cool. I'll do a little prequel, you know, and that's what yeah. mine was. Oh, cool, because I, I thought you'd written that before. I thought that was, yeah. like, the genesis. So that's cool that you yeah. you, you put that in between. Yeah, um, yeah that... Uh, I, without, I mean, I want everyone to read those two books, but like, there's some dark shit in there. I did, yeah. it did not like, it did not turn out how I thought. And I love that. It was just, it totally, it totally threw me. So yeah. uh, I would love to see, are you going to, do you have any consideration of writing more Hayden Glass? Um, I, uh, someday, I don't know when. And it's funny because when I finished Beat, um, the, uh, the publisher, you know, my, my, I was ready to do a, th a third Hayden Glass and I kind of had it all figured out, you know, in my mind what I was going to do. And, um, and the publisher, uh, my editor wanted to do a third one, but the publisher, Tor Forge, um, said, no, they didn't want to continue with the series. And then my agent said, listen, if, if the guys who may, who published your first two Hayden Glass books aren't going to do a third one, then you're not going to be able to sell to anybody else. So just write a standalone. Mm. And, and so then... Then that I spent years writing the standalone that ultimately I just abandoned because um, I didn't feel it was my best work. I didn't feel like it was something I wanted to do. I was kind of trying to write for the market. You know, I was looking to try to create a, 
cool international FBI thriller um, that had some you know, dark qualities and things. And, and, and I spent years on this and, and some, some work that I'm proud of, but ultimately, you know, when it was all said and done, I just said, this is not me, not my voice. Um, I'm just going to toss it out so I can do something I really want to do. And then it took, then I did, you know, the Hollywood versus the author collection and some short stories and stuff. And, um, and it's taken me a long time to find the next thing that really fucking motivates me to write and, and write for myself and not really think about the market. When I wrote Boulevard, I really wasn't thinking about the market. Um, and that's why I had that, that ending. You can't have it. You can't be going out there trying to sell books and have the ending that I had. Oh, no. <laughs> and I knew it. And, and I had a lot of uh, agents um, when I first was looking for an agent that said, you know, if you, if you consider some serious changes, you know, then we'll work with you. Um, and like, that was the big serious change was, was the end. And I, and I just said, no, I'm, this is the end. This is the way it should be. Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of publishers too. And I got my agent and he was motivated and excited and he went out, uh, all the publishers, most all the publishers also said the same thing. And, uh, he had to kind of go out and, and push it on one of an editor who he knew would love it. And, uh, and the editor dug it and I was able to keep, you know, my ending. Now I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have sold it if I had to change the ending. Well, I mean, you know, we both read a lot and, you know, with me at least, like you just, you forget so much that you read. So I think like, like a book like Boulevard, if it didn't have the ending that it had, like yeah. I would, I, I may have, you know, just tossed it on the shelf and yeah. had fun with it, but it, that, that stuck with me, you know, and that's going to stick with me <laughs> for a long time. Nice. So I'm glad, I'm glad you like stuck, to, you know, stuck with it and I mean, yeah. I didn't know any better. If I had known any better, I probably would have been it. But I didn't even know that I was writing a, a thriller. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I, I was just writing a story about a character going through this experience and, and played it out as, as dark as I wanted. And then it wasn't until later, in fact, when the book was ready to go out, it was, wasn't until just before publication date that my editor said, okay, do you want this to go out as fiction or as mystery thriller? And I said, I don't know, what's the difference? What does it mean? He says, well, if you go out as mystery thriller, you know, the people are, are the, the readers will probably be more involved and it's a bigger market and, and you'll get, you know, you'll, you'll get more recognition through that genre, you know? I said, sure, go for it. I, I didn't realize that it was, it was exactly where it should have been. I mean, that's, it's, a, it's in that crime oh, mystery totally. thriller genre. Um, oh. uh, and, uh, and, but if I had been like trying to, satisfy that market and that genre i probably wouldn't have written that ending because i would have thought oh no one will, will want to see this mm -hmm. and and when my when my agent sold the book he said you know hey i've got a great you know a great deal it's a it's a two book deal and i said well yeah but i just gave you one book he said yeah you have to write another book now <laughs> said, really I said, okay and he says yeah and you can do a standalone or a sequel and i thought a sequel i said how can i do a sequel to boulevard i mean what's what's left you know, to write about after Boulevard. I mean, who survives, right? right. And, um, but then I thought, you know, and then I it took a little, I spent a little time thinking about it. And I thought, no, no, this, this will work. This actually can, can be a sequel and it can be a continuing character. And, and you know, someday I would love, love to go back and do more Hayden Glass. Um, but my head would have to be in that place. And I kind of like to, to move on to something different. And I'm, I'm moved on to something very different now. Um, and uh, and um, I don't know, I... I if, if, if there really was, I mean, if someone came to me and said, you need to write another Hayden Glass and, and they gave me a publishing deal, then I would definitely do it. But if I'm going to spend my own time 
writing while I've got a day job or two and I'm trying to write in the evenings and all that, um, and it's going to take me years, uh, then I'm going to write something different, something right. new. That's good. Um, I mean, it's a be- hitting glass. That's like such a killer name too. <laughs> How long did it take you to write? Imagine like with, with Beat, the second book, you probably had like a year to come up with that. How long did you take for... Um, Boulevard? Yeah, yeah. Um, Boulevard, so that was my first novel. So I'd written screenplays, but not a novel. So I kind of had to learn to write a novel. Um, and I had a day job. Uh, so I could only write in the evenings and weekends and holidays and vacation days and any sick day I can justify. So it took me three and a half years, basically evenings and weekends, to write that. Um, and then when I sold it, um, I had a year right, to write the sequel. So uh, I spent the first six months of that year doing research and loving it, and getting embedded with the San Francisco, San Francisco Police Department and, you know, and going out with the cops every night. And just having a great time. I still had a full-time day job, so it was still just evenings and weekends. And a lot of stress because I had because then I only had six months to write the book. At that point, after I did all my research, um, uh, very very stressful. I got it out in time. I was maybe a couple months late, but they were the publisher was going out late into it anyway. So um, so uh, it's nice to have a deadline because you actually do finish something when you have a deadline. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying though. <laughs> I'd be I'd be freaking out, but that's yeah, you pulled it off though. I, that's right. On my day job, I had to. It was, I was going to lose the deal, basically, because I couldn't get the book done in, in time. And um, I went to a doctor, I was with Kaiser, to get a, a, a letter from the doctor saying that I had to go on a two-week um, leave of absence, health leave of absence, because otherwise I would, I would go crazy or whatever. I, <laughs> I, I basically begged the doctor to write me a note to get me out of work for two weeks. <clears throat> and then I went to my boss, and, and I showed him, I said, listen, I, I got it. I, I, can't, I can't work, you know, I've got to go on disability. <laughs> Ability leave for two weeks, and uh, he looked at me like he knew exactly what I was doing. Um, <laughs> and then I spent uh, two weeks, like fourteen hours a day, um, writing my ass off until I and then got the, the book in on time. That's great. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, what else do you want to talk? I mean, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, no, you. Right? This is the stuff I love, man. Yeah, this is great. This time, no, this is cool because I. I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while. So you're the first interview, actually. I have, I have eight or so lined up, but you're the first one. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for that. But I was like, now's the time. Like everyone, we're all kind of stuck online anyways. So let's, let's just do this. Uh, what, uh, how are you? Well, you'd, asked your... about my, you'd asked about my writing, my, my spot where I write now. And how I yeah, write. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got, uh, I got this little desk thing off of Amazon. It's a little thing you put on your steering wheel and it creates a laptop desk. And since there's no, I'm a cafe writer, so I always, I've always written in cafes and it's you know, almost impossible for me to write at home. Um, I live in a tiny little one bedroom apartment, you know, with my whole family too, so it's not easy to do that. Um, and there's no, and the cafes, I mean, I would be, every night I'd be at a cafe writing and that's what I, I feel comfortable doing. I don't do that anymore because I don't go to, you know, I don't go out. I gotta stay shut up in my little, my little room. Um, <clears throat> but we'll get in the car and drive up the coast a half hour uh, to the beaches in you know north of Santa Cruz, and we'll find a secluded beach. And so I've got this little this little desk that, that connects to my steering wheel, and I can park across the cliffs, you know, across the ocean on the cliffs, and and look at the you know watch the sea, the the pelicans fly by, and the dolphins and the sea lions, and the surfers and everything, and and sit there and and get my writing done. So that's, that's what I'm doing now. 
that sounds like the best place. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, jealous of that. Very cool. Um, well, yeah, so it sounds like you've been, you know, that's good. You've been able to work through all this and, um, how I know I've been just like, you know, a lot of people, this has been a really challenging time. Um, and I think like having creative, a creative outlet and just being interested in, you know, books and good TV series and stuff like that. It's helped me keep my sanity. So how have you been able to hold it together? I mean, are you, are you, um, I don't think I'm holding it together too well. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> being able to write right now, moving forward on the, on the new, the new novel, that's, that's the next thing that's, that's helping me. Cause now I can, I'm, I'm really enjoying it and the writing's never been better. And so, that now has given me something, but that's only come in the last few weeks, really, because a lot of it before was research and then the pandemic and then all the chaos, the chaos of the pandemic drives me fucking nuts. And then I had to also, you know, change my day job in the middle of this and get a new day job because the other company was going bankrupt and a lot of things were going on. And so I had to reach out, find another company to hire me during a pandemic you know, and let me work from home, you know, when I usually travel when I do these jobs, travel across the country, and made that happen, and then bring the kids back from school, you know, one was at UC Berkeley, one's at UC Santa Cruz, bring them all back into one space, figure out a way to, to, to manage all of that, it's just been, it's been a real nightmare, and then, and then looking around and seeing, you know, people not social distancing, and not wearing masks, and I live, you know, we paid a lot to be able to get this little apartment right by the beach in Santa Cruz, and then I walk out the door and there's thousands of people not social distancing and wearing masks. So I can't even, I can't even go to the beach outside my door, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been exhausting and frustrating and, and kind of sad. I pull up my saxophone. I start kind of playing sax uh, on Saturdays, but I live in an apartment complex. I don't want to torture people, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and so now, now I'm just kind of, I'm settled in the new job and we've kind of got our routine going. I've got, I'm in a good place in the novel, and, and now it's just, that's what I'm looking forward to, It's just to keep pushing through the novel. It's going to take me probably a year to finish finish the, the, the first major draft, um, you know, and, and at least I've got that to kind of look forward to. That's, that's great. That, if that means, that's called staying sane, then that's what I'm doing. No, it's, how, it's good. How are you? How are you? Well, I have three dogs that are like happily oblivious to what's happening and they're just thrilled that I'm home all the time. So they're, they're loving this. Um, I'm, I'm kind of for, I'm in a position where I'm forced back into being physically at my job in a couple of weeks. Uh, so my poor dogs will, they're going to really take the brunt of that, but they're, you know, they've been, they've been keeping me sane. So, and we, you know, I live right by the mountains able to run up there with the, with the pups and just, you know, run around and what kind of dogs are they? I have a, a little terrier, a small terrier, a Karen terrier. And then I have one who's like a, he's a little midsize terrier schnauzer mix. And then I have a, a little shit of a dog that I, <laughs> I got about a year ago. He's a, a chihuahua mix. Um, yeah. he, he's kind of, he's coming along though, but he was, Poor little guy was underweight and abused at the shelter, and I just was a sucker for him. But he's doing good, yeah. So we've been we've we've been having a lot of fun. Um, so, but honestly, it's like all it's dogs all the time. I'm the crazy dog person. Nice. I listen. I'm a big 
we're a block away, two blocks away from the biggest dog beach in Santa Cruz. Oh, wow. We're going there, you know, every day in the afternoon and the weekends, you know, and, and um, I, even if I didn't, I've got a dog, our dog's 16 years old, she's a 16 year old Labrador and she's blind. And so she likes walking around there, but she just bumps into other dogs and freaks out all the time. <laughs> but, um, but I would go down there, my wife and I go down there just to watch other dogs and play with other dogs. And, and I was doing a lot of that. And now I'm not doing that because it's, there's too many people, you know, I can, but that was a big plus for me is to get out there with the dog. I am, I, I also am obsessed with dogs. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, 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 they teach me stuff <laughs> every day, you know, I'm, um, they just, they're in the moment, you know, and it's so easy, yeah. so easy to not be in the moment and to be obsessing, obsessing and fixating and like all the uncertainty yeah. is yeah. driving mad. So it's nice to see a little um, being that has no, concept of any of this and just is just happy that yeah. you're around so yeah that's how i'm keeping i don't know if i'm doing very well you know yeah. but but you know well, it's scary that you have to go into in-person teaching um yeah know, it's I, a it's a bit terrifying so i i you know my guess is it'll get shut down because it's yeah. gonna i i just don't see it what what grade level know. do you teach i do 11th and 12th grade okay yeah history so i love that that such a cool age group you know um i've yeah. done i've done the ninth and tenth graders but the 11th and 12th graders are kind of coming into their own they're you know excited about moving on so i, I just felt awful for our seniors last year you know because oh. it, it yeah. just like it just fell apart and it was you know we did like a drive-by graduation yeah no problem we did a, we did like a drive-by graduation and i think they you know they seemed happy but i felt they were they're struggling you could tell so um what a shitty way to end your senior year if you've been working hard and yeah. you know so i don't know we'll, we'll see how it goes i mean i think that's the biggest thing i i uh years ago i was studying to be an ocd therapist obsessive compulsive yeah. disorder and so the yeah. thing, I, I i didn't go through with it but i went to a lot of different conferences and learned quite a bit about the about the disorder and it's it's all about um an inability to accept uncertainty. So you have someone who washes their hands um, obsessively, um, compulsively, and so they're never certain and they can never be certain. So I think like learning, learning a lot of that has helped me at least, I don't think it's made me feel any better, but it's maybe at least recognize that we're all kind of in a position where some of the poor people who suffer from that, it's like the uncertainty is just, it can, it can be devastating. Yeah. We should talk offline about that too, as to uh, yeah. definitely experience uh, uh, with family members and, and that. It's a big, uh, big yeah, thing. definitely. A, a, yeah, it's a, it's awful. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to talk about. <laughs> I mean, um, anything else you got? I mean, I can, I can, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut, cut a little bit of this out, but. Um, um, I don't know. I just always love talking about, uh, you know, I don't often get the opportunity because my day job is in, in sales, you know, and it's, I deal with a completely different, you know, group of, uh, of, of the community, you know, in, 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 in across the U.S. And, um, and I don't really get to talk about, you know, about writers and about the creative process. And right. I, I do love that. Um, and, and, you know, in and, and, and Hollywood, it's, it's funny because I have a definitely a love-hate relationship with film and TV, and um, and I've certainly got more reason to hate it than love it. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I'm still always fascinated by it. 
Right. And one of the things I was just invited into a Facebook group, um, closed Facebook group for people who were working in the industry. Um, uh, it called Opening Up Hollywood, and it's um, uh, it's it's uh, their experiences of the people that are going on set right now, um, making movies and TV series during the pandemic. Uh, and I think that's fascinating. That's something I'm going to be sharing with my students because how do you open up Hollywood? And, and um, in some of these, uh, some of the things that are being done, like the studio level are amazing. I mean, so intricate, the way they're separating people and the way they're having all these different stations set up and how they're testing every morning and there's different lines that people go through and, and people can't, you know, it's like everyone's wearing masks and shields, um, except for the actors, uh, except when the actors act, you know, they have to pull off their, their PPE and, and, and they have to be shot. And, um, and so no one gets near the actors, you know, uh, except other actors. Uh, and, and it's just, it goes, it gets, there's so detailed, as far as, you know, craft services, the food, how do you deal with that? Uh, <clears throat> how do you deal with all that? And so they share all these things about what's going on in the industry. And, and I think that's, that's kind of fascinating, what it's like to, to start shooting, you know, production again in, 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 in LA. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it's going to be, I think, I think a lot of, and maybe you can speak to this. I think a lot of, I'm curious to see where the creative tone is set in the next few years based off this, because this is all collective, you know, we're going yeah. through all different kinds of things. Uh, you know, there's certainly going to be some anxiety and lasting PTSD for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm interested in, in to, to see these stories presented in, in books. And well, I'm, I'm sure everyone is sitting down writing <laughs> this, but in, in, at the same time, um, there's probably a lot of people who just can't write about it. And we're in it. We can't really write about it with, <clears throat> with any real perspective except for the moment. And everything you write in this moment, it, it, by the, it takes so long to write a novel, right? That everything changes. Right now, everything's changing every week, you know? Um, so you can't, it's really hard, I think, to keep a, a, a through line based on what's happening at this moment. You know, you can write about what you're experiencing, maybe a memoir or something about your experience at the moment or, or take a fictional story based on this kind of thing. I'm not gonna write about, I can't, <clears throat> I won't write about this probably for a long time. Um, I'll use my feelings, what I'm experiencing in this moment in my writing, I'll tap it, you know. Um, uh, but um, I don't know when I'll be prepared to really, it almost, it almost feels like it's, the subject is so big and so important that I can't add anything by dramatizing. Right, yeah. What can I fucking bring to the table <laughs> that's dramatic, that's more yeah. dramatic than any of the news stories, you know, um, <clears throat> that I see. There's, there's something that I wanted to do, and I have to figure out how to, I don't know if it's me to do this, but it's something I'd like to see done. Um, something I thought about, um, uh, oh, I forgot what I called it already. Just last week, I, th I thought everybody, you know, I, I look at through CNN and I see, I'd see a story about <clears throat> somebody um, who, uh, who's, who's died, you know, and so, so they get a little history of the person who's died from COVID um, and what their family's going through, kind of almost a little obituary. And there's a picture of them <clears throat> and, and a little bit about their experience and who they were. And I thought, you know, every single person who dies from COVID <clears throat> should have this, right? And, and yeah. however many hundreds of thousands of people across the world that there are, there should be, there should be um, a little bit like this for every single person so that we can actually see, it's a memorial, it's like Shoah, you know, it's like something that, that, that it, it, we can do it in, in this digital age. It's not oh, hard, yeah. we have a template, 
you know, for a place for a photograph, a place for the bio, a place for kind of, you know, um, you know, how this person got COVID and, and what their experience was through it. Um, and, and it hits in, you know, it's like, and, and, you, and you vet it out to make sure that they're all real people, they're all real stories, or there's a way to do it. This can yeah. be done. And then there's a place, a central place you can go to online that you can, you can scroll through with tens of thousands of people. You could search someone by name and, and whatever. I think everyone deserves that memorial, that monument. And I don't know, I just, I, I'm on, I was trying to figure out how to, how to make that happen. You know? No, that's like that's a great idea. I mean, I think sometimes like the the numbers are so massive, we just don't have the bandwidth to like to to compute that. It's 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 crazy. I know, um, you know that Hollywood Forever Cemetery, right right in Hollywood, they have. Yeah. Yeah. I th I don't know if it's on their website anymore, but they used to have these kiosks where they were working on a project for a long time where they were memorializing their um, the people who had been who were being buried there, so families could like add photos and different things. And I, I think they had like, you could scan a QR code or type punch in something, but I had like, the idea was, I don't know if they ever stuck with it, but the idea was to have thousands and thousands of people that were buried there. And then you as a visitor could just like walk in and, and kind of yeah. look up people yeah. and yeah. just, you know, just regular people. Um, yeah. That's a great idea. One, one, one thing I did, I did with my students, you know, cause we had the last quarter was this a complete shit show. And to, to expect to, to be able to teach high school kids, it was just, it just wasn't practical. So I had them do, um, I'm big on primary sources when, when I teach. And so I said, you know, just keep like a, keep a journal and, and, you know, things you want to turn into me, turn in, if you're not comfortable, don't turn it into me. And I said, this is going to act as like a, it's a primary source. You're living through this historical period. Right. Uh, you keep it and you want to come back to it years from now. And, you know, um, kind of what you were saying, it's like, it's so big, it's hard to, to think how can we add to this, but I think like the emotional tone comes across if you're writing. So I think that's a, that's a big thing uh, for all of us. I yeah. love the primary source idea. I think I might steal that from my, my class. Oh, it's great. You know, I just bought, um, I'm a big Three Stooges fan. I don't know why I was really into the Three Stooges when I was a kid. So I got, um, Mo Howard, his his daughter, who's you know she's an old woman now. She sold a ton of his stuff about a year ago. Um, so I got a couple of these uh, handwritten notes for some of the when they were doing vaudeville, some of these sketches. So they're just on old uh, hotel stationery, and you see like little notes and things like that. So it's just kind of cool to try to figure out what was going on where was he what you know and then you you frame it you know oh this was like right before uh world war ii so yeah. i love using stuff like that and there, there's some you know all kinds of great resources there's a i don't know if you you know if you ever make it to denver but um this would probably be the only reason anyone would go here but laramie wyoming um they have a really amazing university there and back in the 1970s there was a, a guy who worked there who reached out to all these different um kind of old-time hollywood folks and and asked if you know when they when they die if, if he could have their um you know their journals their collections to yeah. be archived so there's all like you wouldn't think the university of wyoming would have this huge hollywood um uh, stash of stuff but they have like jack benny um, all these letters, so really cool stuff. So I, I go up there, you know, occasionally and just hit the archive. And wow, that would be awesome. They have really cool stuff, and you can like, you know, you can scan stuff, take pictures. So I've used stuff in my classroom. 
from that. But, you know, I think it, it really speaks and, you know, not to go off on a tangent about history, but you, some of the toughs, it's, it's tough to teach history, you know, like, oh, there's a lot, you know, white supremacist supremacy is baked into the culture, you know, like, right. so it, it, you can get in a lot of troubles dealing with kids and speaking that way. So, but I find if I just show them a set of primary sources that speak for themselves and they can connect the dots and I don't get, I don't get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I love history. I, I took enough, almost enough history courses to have a history minor when I was in college. I just kept, I, I love it. I love yeah. it. My wife is a history major too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you read, I mean, so you've talked a lot about fiction and stuff. Do you read, um, and it sounds like when you, when you're working on a project, you do a fair amount of research. Yeah. Uh, what kind of nonfiction are you into these days? Um, well, I love reading uh, memoirs, love memoirs um, and biographies. Uh, and and um, I, I'm also kind of obsessed with addiction um, uh, type of books. Um, uh, uh, you know, I forgot the names of some of them, but they, you know, whenever they're talking about the opioid um, addiction in, in the U.S., I read, I forgot the name of that book, but it's the, now. Dreamland, is that what? Yeah, is, Dreamland yeah. is one of them. Yeah, yeah. there's another one that came out too. Um, uh, that I that I ended up reading for I judged the um, uh, I was one of the ones that was at the festival books actually I didn't judge it because I judged the, the the mystery thrill but it was one of the ones that I think it won for 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 the nonfiction um, version of it but but yeah any any I, I'm always fascinated with human psychology and addiction issues um, uh, whether it's alcoholism or drug addiction or or, or bulimia um, um, anything that that where the, where the mind has this obsessive, you know, nature and, 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 and to see what it does to the, the, um, the community, the people and their, their families and the community and these things, for some reason, they just touch a chord and, uh, and I, and I have to read all of these things. So. Yeah, no, I got, I got to thank you for turning me on to Jim Brown's work because I, I, you know, after you suggested him, I read, I, um, I'd had the LA Diaries, stashed away for a long time and i'd forgotten about it and then so i read that and then i just read his other two like boom within like a yeah. you know i was in that man's life for a week and a half i was just reading yeah. him every night but you know yeah. incredible stuff but yeah it's a he's one of my very favorites you know if i think of just contemporary writers um especially someone who is not really as noticed as he should be i think you know la uh, diaries and this river to me are like fucking the best mm -hmm. and i'm really really beautiful writing yeah, and really intense and powerful and and sad um, uh, and poignant, you know. Um, and uh, I just uh, he, he's such a good writer. Yeah, yeah. There's another one that's I can just saw here in my in this book uh, in my little bookshelf here. Where is it? Um, oh, here. Yeah, I read this a little while ago. It was kind of cool. Uh, the Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six. Oh yeah, I read that. I read that. I love that book. I read that. I read that several years ago. It was so. Oh my god, I can't believe that guy's still alive. I, I know. <laughs> it's really fascinating too. Yeah, it's a, it's a great. Oh, it's good. It's amazing. Then you get like real rock star lifestyle and the heroin addiction, everything. Yeah. Another one, another great favorite of mine is um, this one here. Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. You ever read this? No, I haven't read that. Uh, I read this a couple of times. This is about the the Hollywood of the '70s. So it's Peter Fonda and um, uh, just, you know, all the guys, um, uh, Coppola, um, 
kind of the the the, the top. Uh, I'm not the thinking of some of the guys. Um, uh, William Freakin has you know, another William Freakin biography too. Okay. So. But this is all about the crazy chaos of that early '70s films, when which is to me was the best, you know, one of the best eras for. Oh, absolutely, films, yeah. Right. So yeah. everyone you can think of who is responsible for those kinds of intense films in in the '70s, that's their that's how it all started. You know? Is it kind of like an oral history? No, it's a, it's a it's it's just a well written biography that um, is very. Um, Kind of intense um and it just gives you the sense of you know what what it was how these people kind of came out of nowhere and the studios had no idea what to do with them they started becoming successful and they're just breaking all the rules for what was traditional filmmaking and the studio heads had no idea they just had to run with it let them do it they're making money um and uh and that became you know uh that was the golden age in a sense for freedom for hollywood directors that's kind of when the hollywood tour yeah came about uh and um you know, Scorsese came out, Taxi Driver, you know, Raging Bull, um, all these uh, great, um, uh, Dennis Hopper, there's a lot about Dennis Hopper in there. So, uh, oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so that, that stuff, I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff, too. I mean, any, anything, anything that's well-written, you know, basically, I like, I love to read. Yeah. Know, about the cells of, you know, the human body or whatever, if it's well-written, you know, I'm, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, it puts you into, you know, we're, we're not able to travel all over the world and live different lives, so that's our only way, really, is to, is to read. I mean, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that Nikki Six book, because it's been several years since I read that. One of my favorite books, it just reminded me of this, was a, an Aerosmith oral bio, biography or autobiography, whatever, so it's just like, I don't know if you read The Motley Crue, um, The Dirt or Dirt, and it's kind of like an oral. So yeah, you should check that out if you like the Nikki Six book. So it has all the guys, and it's just like, oh, Tommy Lee, and then it's like a paragraph or page, Tommy Lee. But there's an there's an Aerosmith book called I think it's just called Walk This Way, and oh my God, I mean, and it talks mostly about the early, you know, in Boston, you know, the the early times, and same thing with those guys. I don't know how they're still kicking, but yeah. good for yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's. Uh... That's crazy. That's cool. I need to get, um, I just got the Criterion channel. That's been a lifesaver these last few months. I hadn't had that before. So I don't know. Uh, a lot of great 70s films that I just never had heard of. I can't, I'm kind of drawing a blank right now, but. I know, this, so I, I know that, that channel. I got a buddy who's got like 10,000 Blu-ray DVDs of uh -huh. every, of, I, when I, when I would teach, right, when I teach, I have to fly to LA from Northern California. And, then I, and, and teach at Emerson. And then I spend the night at a friend of mine's from film school at his house. And, um, and we always, you know, I come back late because I teach a night class. I come back late and we make sure we see whatever I haven't seen, an old classic movie, there's a million I haven't seen. You're like, I want to see, I want to see a Betty Davis film. I haven't seen enough Betty Davis, you know? So he'll pull out all the choices and we'll see one movie, you know? Um, and uh, and I, I, would, I, would, I would do that, you know, here with my family, but I'm here with my family and no one shares my taste, yeah. unfortunately. You know, if I don't want to watch anime, then we're not going to watch anime. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and so I made, it was on, on Father's Day. I, my Father's Day and my birthday were like within a week apart. So um, on my birthday, I made everyone watch Godfather Part oh, 1. Yeah. And on Father's Day, I made everyone watch Godfather Part 2. Nice. You know, well, I behind, you, behind you, you have the, uh, the Godfather. Is that the screenplay or is that the, oh, the, the Bible? That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is fucking cool. Is that the Bible? It's like the 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 Bible. Is that what they call it? What it is is it's the uh, it's the Godfather Notebook, and okay. what this includes is it's the novel, 
of of uh, of of the Godfather of the novel. I don't know if you can see this, yeah, yeah, with all of Coppola's handwritten notes <clears throat> of how to make this novel into a movie. Right. Okay. So you've got the novel, you have got the screenplay, you've got all the discussions about how to make this movie, you know, this book into a movie, um, and uh, and it's and I haven't really read it all the way through. Uh, but when I saw this, I just had, I said, this I have to fucking get. Um, and I would love to teach a class. I would like to teach a class someday on, on adaptation, you mm. know, on adapting a novel. And in which case, this would be the, the course study, you know, so if you could do yeah. one whole class just on adapting the book, the novel, The Godfather into the film. That's so um, cool. I don't know if, the, if, if he did this, but I know like back in the day, they would, uh, like exacto knife out or you know cut out the pages of the of the novel huh. and then like have a bigger sheet of paper on there and they'd write the notes around it so they'd make this like this book that's from cool. a chopped up novel that they yeah, were adapting i think that's when there was respect for the novel <laughs> when they'd actually read it right when they would read the novel when they would read the novel yeah actually when i um funny story about that when i when i first went out to to introduce my my first novel boulevard to agents when i was sending it out um, I, I just assumed that no one would read the work because I worked in Hollywood and no one reads anything in Hollywood. They don't read screenplays. They don't read, definitely don't read novels. You know, they read coverage basically. Right. You know, they, they're, they're, you have to force them to fucking read a screenplay and then they don't have their own ideas of what the screenplay means. They have to listen to everyone. Well, who else likes this? Who else is interested in this? Who else is bidding on this? Someone else is bidding it. That's like, I, I've got a bid on it then. It's like, <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with people actually experiencing the written word and understanding and loving it. Some people do, not a lot. Right. Um, so I just kind of assume, especially the agents. I mean, you might expect the producer to be able to get it, but the agents, you know, they're just going to sell something. So that was my attitude when I was trying to sell my novel. And I wrote this query letter that was just really fucking ballsy. Um, I, I, I didn't think, I thought it was exactly, it, it worked. It was a really good query letter, but I had another author read it for me and she said, wow, that's like really arrogant. You, know? <laughs> you should just know that these people are going to read the work and the work will speak for itself. And what, what I had written, and I didn't think it was arrogant, but I mean, what I, what I had written in, in the, in, in the art, if it's for an author, they would never write. And what I wrote in my query letters, I said, listen, I said, I've, I've been a development executive in Hollywood for many, many years. I know within the first few pages when I read a script, if it's going to be a really great script or not, you know, um, uh, and, and so, and I get thousands of scripts. And, and so I understand what you're going through. You're being hit up all the time. You're always being asked to read something. So do me a favor, don't read these pages. I sent like 50 pages. I said, <clears throat> don't read these pages, give it to your assistant. Um, if your assistant is too busy, have your assistant give it to the intern, you know? But at some point the intern's gonna give it back to the assistant, the assistant's gonna give it to you and then you're gonna call me. So let's just go ahead and get to that point now. <laughs> you know? I love it. It's so and, honest. <laughs> and it worked. It was great. I had like a lot of really good choices for agents that got their attention. Um, but, you know, I can totally see after I got into the world, uh, and, you know, it's like, you, you know, this other author said to me, you don't have to do that. Just they'll read your work and they'll, and they'll determine if your work is good and then they'll contact you. You don't have to try to coax them into doing it. Right. Oh, that's, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that sometimes, but it is true. I mean, even with published work, you know, sometimes I'll just go to the, you know, when the libraries were open, I, I have a library yeah. right up the street, I just go there, just grab. I love going to libraries because they don't have the, the algorithm that knows exactly what I like. And I guess I guess walk in and take a book off the shelf. I love reading first lines, uh, just yeah. anything random. And it's like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's an incredible 
line or that you know that I'm 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 not doing that because I pretend I'm I'm acting agent when I go <laughs> into into the library. But yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. I I, th- I think it'd be a tough a tough gig to be reading thousands and thousands of of these things and you know you you're not feeling good one day you know there's right. so many factors you know you have so a headache connectors. yeah yeah and you want to i'm from working in hollywood you learn that you have a very short window to 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 drum up excitement you know and, and when you're when you're told when you're going out with your novel to find an agent um that you're kind of supposed to give the agents respect and you go out one at a time you give to one agent and the agent you know, wait till that agent gets back to you before you go to the next agent. And that'll take you five years, right? right? Because the agent will take three months, six months to get back to you. And then they'll say no. And then you, you got to go the next day. And then and there's no momentum, right? So I took a page out of Hollywood, which is when Hollywood releases, when, when an agent comes out with a screenplay in Hollywood, a spec script, they let everyone know it's coming. <clears throat> they give it to, to all the producers at the same time. And they say, I need to know who's interested by tomorrow night. Kind of thing, right? So they just build all this hype, um, and so when when I went out with with you know with Boulevard, I went out to like you know fifty agents at once. You know, I, I found my top guys I want to work with. Went out to everyone at once, and I started kind of working. So if I got any interest from one of the agents, then I'd go to the other agent and say, "Hey, this guy's interested. <laughs> you know, I need to hear back from you because you know I I really want to work with you, but this guy's showing some interest here." And, and so I try to kind of work everyone against one another, just as you do in, a, in a kind of going out with the script in Hollywood. Um, and it, and it, it, it did kind of work, you know, I had like nine really good agents that were interested, you know, within a couple of weeks. And a lot of it was by, by trying to kind of massage the, the release of this idea, um, you know, when, when I went out. It, does, it may not work with everything. Right. It probably won't work with much of anything. But I think because I'd written a, a script, a book that was, you know, um, uh, commercial and, and it could be seen, you know, as a genre piece, obviously, at least it, it worked for that. That's pretty savvy. I mean, cause yeah, cause I, you know, I'm a, I'm working on my first novel and I've, I've thrown out so much. I mean, it's like probably like five books that I had that I've thrown away, yeah. but it's the same, you know, um, seed of an idea, but I've heard that from, you know, when asking advice, like, I was like, how does that, how does that work with, when you send stuff out? I'm like, how can you ever get it to anyone when it, when you are waiting on someone and it's like, they may have lost it or they get deleted it, whatever. So that's a, I haven't heard that approach. I like that. That makes sense. My advice is, yeah, I definitely say to do that. Um, what I did is I, I looked at the last like 10 years of, uh, you know, New York Times bestsellers. I identified who their agents were. A lot of them were the same agents, you know, interestingly enough. And then I looked at all the authors and, you know, popular authors that I read now that are living, you know, with deals, found out who their agents were, found out a lot of the guys and and women and men that that I really liked had the same agents too. So I identified, okay, these are the agents who are selling things that are kind of up my alley. Um, And then I targeted that that group of people. Um, And then I went out all at once instead of individually. Um, So... um, so yeah, I you know I was uh, it worked out. I was lucky. Um, I didn't have to wait a real long time, but um, but I wouldn't. Uh, and that's uh, and I don't want to even be thinking about it when I'm writing something. You don't want to be thinking about selling it. You know, right. I just have to I have to push that out of my mind. I have to just say, you know what? I'm going to write this thing because this makes me happy to write this thing. 
and to rewrite it and to throw shit out and to rewrite it and, and to play with the sentence and, and the, the rhythm of the sentence and you know all that all that ultimately I have to realize that makes me happy in itself and I'll just keep doing that a little bit every day until there's something that's done that I can send out and then I'll worry about all that other shit right no I mean I think I think uh you know years ago I, I had a subscription to kindle unlimited and i was so i was reading a lot of like nothing against self-published stuff yeah. i i love a lot of self-published work one of my favorite um series is, is a self-published um you know yeah. like 12 books but there's all these books that like how to you know how to write and it's like write to how to write to market and uh, it's like it, <coughs> i just don't see that working because the, the market can shift and right. so it's like you may be you're writing something hot in the moment and then it's like by the time you're done and you've edited and gone through several drafts that like that moment's done and you know that this stuff kind of sucks when it when it is focused on trying to sell it like a like a you know commercial piece ultimately that's what we want to do but yeah you get you got to just focus on what you want to write about yeah. well I, I ultimately had to make the decision that i would rather have you know six or eight really really good novels that i'm very proud of in the course of my life than you know 30 novels that might be forgettable you know yeah and uh and it's a tough decision to make because you want to just work full-time as a writer and, and to do that you have to write a book a year and you know and whatever um and if you're not going to do that you have to have a day job and then it's really hard to write then you're always complaining and bitching about that which i'm always doing right um <laughs> Me but, too. <laughs> but if you look at, you know, I look at um, Walter Tevis is a good example of a writer who only wrote six or eight books. He wrote The Hustler. He wrote um, um, Color uh, of Money. Um, he wrote uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Um, you know, he wrote a handful of books that are all freaking wonderfully great written, you know. And, um, and you know, that's all he wrote. And, and I love them. So they're some of my favorite books, and, and that's all right. And you look at also um, another favorite author of mine is uh, Jim, um, I'm not forgetting his name. Jim, um, he wrote uh, The Killer Inside Me um, and uh, The Getaway and uh, The Grifters. I don't know why I'm, I'm spacing on his name, but, you know, he, he's another favorite writer. Uh, and, uh, and he wrote, I don't know, 30 or 40 books too. And yeah. he was kind of a pulp writer, but he was so good that, you know, a handful of these books were just fantastic. And I don't know why I'm not, but you've got to go read those books. Nate, I got like, like, the scriptures is fantastic. I'll check them out. Yeah. I love, I love pulp yeah. stuff. There's a, there's a great uh, bookstore locally called Ken Sanders. Um, they're kind of shut down right now, um, but they have like a, like a pretty good section of just old, like, you know, first printing pulp stuff. So I'll occasionally just pick up something like, yeah. let's see, what am I got? What I got right now, the Canary murder case. I mean, it's just like, just, it's not that. Yeah, the covers. Yeah, the covers are incredible. So it's like, not the greatest, but just, it's fun. You know, it's like, I would never have discovered that, but I just didn't pop in and pull it off the shelf. Have you read uh, Krista Faust by any chance? No, I haven't. That's, that's someone you need to interview too. Okay. Yeah, read her book uh, called Money Shot. Okay. And she was picked up by um, by the, the, the crime uh, pulp, you know, kind of new uh, publisher. 
trying to remember the name of the publisher. I, I don't really live in that world, but but she's like she was the first female author to be picked up by them, and 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 she's she's a real character. She's really really interesting. So, but her book Money Shot is fantastic. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, no, that's great. Very cool. Well, well, hey, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep these to about an hour, so okay. I, I think we've about hit it. But I, I'd love to you know have you on down the road. I mean, or even yeah. like we can we can we can chat. Let's talk some OCD at some point. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to. I want to hear. I want to hear more from you. But I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too, Kyle. I'm glad that you reached out to me initially, and and we keep this going. And thank you for letting me be your first uh, podcast. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We got this. I hope so. I mean, it's it's a, it's a little nerve wracking, but you know, you just got to do it. <laughs> You're doing well. And, and say hi to Liska for me. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, uh, people, wonderful person, and great writer. Uh, yeah, so yeah, right. Okay, well, let's um, yeah, let's keep let's keep in contact, and I'd love to have you on again. Yep, I'm there, man. Okay, thanks. Awesome, Tyler. thanks so much. Take care. Okay, bye bye.